anybody ever experienced that before? You know, you're just kind of like minding your own business, trying to get into a good, nice, relaxing, comfortable position on the beach, and then all of a sudden you get nailed by a wave. And this is how James describes doubt. James describes doubt like this. He said, doubt is like a wave in the sea. It's like it's up one minute and it's down the next, you know, it, it, you, you sort of go into it when, with one sort of mindset, you know, and then all of a sudden it just hits you out of nowhere. You know, you have, you know, you, you, you trust and you believe and you have faith on, on one side, but then uh, next thing you know, you're hit with this, this uncertainty. You're hit with this doubt. It's the way James described it. He even said, James said, you know what? It's like being double-minded, you know? He describes it in that way. It's just being double-minded, and, and he says that a double-minded person is is unstable in all of his ways. And just like you trying to, you know, navigate through sea, a sea of waves coming at you, you know, the ups and the downs, you thinking that you're, you know, able to sort of work your way through the water when then a wave comes and it kind of sets you back. That's what happens to us when we experience doubt. As a matter of fact, doubt is described in the scripture as seen two ways. Seen two ways. And, you know, what we're, we sort of see, you know, when it comes to, you know, where God wants us to see, God wants us to see this sort of this trust and this, you know, that we believe and that we are with him. And, you know, and so James said, listen, double-minded, and it's sort of like this, and we sort of take from Proverbs 3, you know, it says that double-minded is when we lean into God, but, but we also lean into our own understanding. You know, we lean into God, we have faith and we trust that God is real, God exists, that, you know, that he may be for me, but all, at the same time, I'm sort of also leaning into my own understanding and, and trying to figure out and navigate through life in my own way and do it the thing, what I think is best for me. And so we sort of are double-minded, you know, we lean into God, but we also lean into our own understanding. But here's what James would tell you, and here's what Jesus, more importantly, would tell you, is that he wants you to be single-minded. He wants you to just trust in the Lord with all of your heart and in all of your ways acknowledge him. That he wants you to be, when you, when you go through life, that he wants you to be single-minded in that way. That regardless of what you go through, regardless of what you experience, that I'm going to just trust in the Lord with all of my heart and in, in all of my ways. Not just some of my ways, not just a portion of my ways, but all of my ways I'm going to acknowledge him. I'm going I'm to see God and I'm going to trust God in every aspect of my life when it comes to my career, when it comes to my relationships, when it comes to my finances, when it comes to my health, whenever it comes down for it for you, that you and I say, you know what, my mindset is going to be single-minded. I'm not going to be double-minded. I'm going to be single-minded. I'm going to trust the Lord with all of my heart and in all of my ways, I'm going to acknowledge him in all of my ways. So best example of that is Peter. As a matter of fact, this is sort of where we get the, you know, the, the idea or the definition of doubt is what Jesus said to Peter. You remember the story when, when, when you know, they're out on the boat and, and, and next thing you know, you know, Jesus is going for a stroll, you know, but he's not going for a stroll on the beach. He's going for a stroll on the water, you know, and they look out and they're like, they think they see a ghost, which was common, you know, occurrence with Jesus, you know, especially within this 40 
40-day period, they think they're seeing a ghost. And Jesus said what he commonly says when they think that he's a ghost, peace, peace be with you. Like, in other words, chill, chill, guys. It's me, it's me. And, uh, and so Peter gets so excited to see Jesus out on the water that he says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, call, beckon me, call, you know, tell me to come out. And Jesus is like, I love this faith. I love this faith. Yeah, come on out, come on out. And so Peter gets out of the boat, right? And he starts walking on water, but then you know the story. You know what happens next, right? He sees the wind. He sees the waves, right? So this is just a, just a picture of the definition of what James says of what doubt is. And then he starts to recognize you know, these waves welling up, you know, and he's thinking to himself, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm not, you know, nobody has ever walked on water. No human has ever walked on water. Oh, but I shouldn't be doing this. And then what did he do? He started to sink. He started to sink. And Jesus sort of, in a, and I think in a heart of, of compassion, in a heart of sympathy, in a heart of like, oh, you almost got it. In this heart, Jesus said to Peter, he reaches down and he pulls Peter up from out of the water as he's sinking down into the circumstances of what's coming up over top of him. And he says to him, oh, Peter, why do you doubt? Why did you doubt? Like you almost got it. You stepped out and all you were thinking about is just looking at me and you were doing something and you were walking and you were treading where no one has ever walked before. But then you started to see the circumstances. But then you started to see the waves. Then you started to feel the wind. And you let yourself go double-minded, Peter, in that way. Peter, I wanted you to be single-minded. I wanted you to trust me with all of your heart. And in all of your ways, acknowledge me. Even when you see the waves welling up. Even when you feel the wind pushing and even when you think that you're going to start to sink, Peter, I want you to stay single-minded. I want you to trust me with all of your heart and all of your ways. I want you to acknowledge me. Don't lean into me, but also lean into your own understanding. That's a double-minded man. That's like a wave that you think is going to be calm one minute, and then it hits you the next. That's what James said. We shouldn't be that. So Jesus wanted to just squash. Jesus wanted to quench all of the doubt that people had over the time. So he spent 40 days, and we, we spent the last few weeks, you know, talking about this 40-day period and what he did. And so where, where we got this from, how do we know that Jesus spent 40 days? Well, Luke tells us in Acts 1-3, he says, and, and to these, he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convincing proofs. So Jesus wanted everybody to be convinced, not just you know think or hear rumors of, but he wanted people to be convinced that he was alive. And so he presented himself alive after his, his suffering on the cross, resurrected from the grave by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so here, here you know, we get the, the, these, these accounts, right? We get Matthew's account, we get Mark's account, we get Luke's account, we get John's account. Did you know that all of them doubted? 
All of them had doubt. All of them. All of the disciples of Jesus. You, 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 we can go back and we can read the story and you can look at you know, the different accounts of when Jesus showed himself to certain people. Right? Remember we looked at a few weeks ago when he showed himself to Mary, that Mary saw him alive. And what did Mary do? Mary ran back to tell the disciples, I saw him, I saw him, I saw him. And you know what their response was? No way. No, you didn't. This is in according, these are, these are Peter's words. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. That was what, and, and you know, then you can, then you read like when the, he showed to, up to the, you know, to the two on the road to Emmaus. Remember we, we talked about the two on the road to Emmaus and they saw Jesus, they recognized Jesus. And what did they do? They ran back to tell the disciples, you know, that were in the room. It was 10 of them there. He went, they ran back to tell the disciples that were hiding behind locked doors. Hey, we saw him alive. And you know what they said? No, you didn't. No, you didn't. They all doubted. They all doubted. And then he finally has to show himself up to them. If you were here last week, he shows them himself up to them in a room and says, hey, guys, I'm alive. I'm here. But then one of them is not there. And so we bag on this guy, don't we? We, we just destroy this guy. This guy has a nickname that we call this guy. But it, doesn't, it wasn't just him that doubted. It was all of the disciples doubted. But poor Thomas, right? Poor Thomas. Thomas has coined the nickname what? Doubting Thomas. We all know him as that. But then Thomas, so here we are picking up in the story. But Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Verse 25. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. This is the same report that Mary gave to the disciples, the same report that the two walking back home to Emmaus gave to the disciples, the same exact report that others who saw you know, Jesus alive gave to them. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprints of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. The disciples doubts, not just Thomas, poor Thomas, right? Poor Thomas gets a bad rap. He's up in heaven going, come on, are you kidding me? They all doubted. Every one of them doubted he, he was alive. And, it, you know, they, they all doubted. They, they, in other words, they were saying this. I won't believe unless I see it and I feel it. And that's ultimately what unbelief is. That's ultimately what doubt is. Unbelief says, I refuse to believe unless I see the evidence to believe. And that's faith. That's our faith. That's, that's what faith is. Being a Christian and having Christian faith is about. Faith in Christian is about, listen, I believe, I believe because the evidence supports the fact that I believe. The evidence supports, there's proof. That's why Jesus spent 40 days of a period of time appearing to many, the, the, according to the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church, he said he appeared to over 500 people all at one time. Why? Because he wanted them to truly believe. Because belief is this. I believe because I see because of the evidence that supports it. I refuse to believe, and they were saying, I refuse to believe until I see the evidence to believe. As a matter of fact, our definition of scriptural faith says it this way. Look what it says in Hebrews 11.1. 1. This is where we get our definition of faith from. Now, faith 
is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the assurance. It's the certainty that you can know without a doubt, with, with, with no, without a, you know, with no, no doubt that, that the, you know, of something, things that we were hoped for, right? right? We hope for a, a better life. We hope for a life that is full of joy and peace. That we hope for eternal life, that we're going to go to a better place, that this life is short, but that when this life is over, we're going to step into a place called heaven, which is a better place. That's what we hope for, right? You can have, and I hope you do, assurance of that. You have assurance of that. And then he goes on and says this. And for the, in the conviction of things not seen. In other words, I wasn't there and you weren't there when Jesus died on a cross. You weren't there and I wasn't there when Jesus was put into and placed into a tomb. And you and I weren't there when he resurrected out of the grave and he showed himself to people. But listen, here's what you need to know. You need to know that there, are, there is convincing proof. There is assurance. There is conviction. And that word conviction comes from the same word evidence. Evidence. That there is evidence even though we didn't see it. Even though you weren't there and I wasn't there. There's evidence to say that my faith is placed in the right thing. That my faith is placed in the right thing. In other words, faith is not believing blindly. Faith is not believing blindly. You you can know without a doubt that your faith and your trust in Jesus is not a blind faith. It's not something that you, you know, your parents told you or your grandparents told you or you know, some, some family member or some friend is encouraging you because they had some sort of experience in their life. No, 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 no. It's much, much better than that. That your faith is founded on assurances. That your faith is placed in you know, convictions and evidence. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to get into any, a lot of this stuff, but I just want you to know, there is mountains and mountains of evidence to prove our faith, convincing proof that we put our faith and trust in the right guy. And for just example, I'm just gonna go through this quick. We have, you know, the type of, the, of, of letters that we wrote that was written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul's letters, James' letters. The literary type proves that we have and put our faith in the right person. The literary type. In other words, the way that the scripture is written, and you should, you, should do a, you should do a study on this. The way that Matthew is written, and the way that Mark is written, and the way that Luke is written, and the way that John is written, is written not as romantic fiction. It's not written like that. It's not romanticized. As a matter of fact, when, when details are written out, descriptions are written out, they would go out of the way. I mean, certainly Luke would. Luke would go out of the way and he would write historical figures. He would write historical people. He would write historical places. You know why Luke would do that? Luke would do that to say, fact check me if you want. Thousands of years later, Luke would say, fact check me if you want. And you know what? People have tried to do that. There are people that have gone you know, out of their way to fact check, check Luke. And you know what they discovered? That Luke is spot on. Even at times where history hasn't revealed itself yet, that over time history reveals that Luke's writings and Matthew's accounts and Mark's account and John's account are all spot 
on. It is not written as, um, you know, romantic fiction. It is written as historical biography. Here are the facts. Here's the evidence. Here's the proof. Here you go. Fact check us if you want. Not only is there literary type, but we have literary transmission. Literary transmission. Yeah, we're like, what does that mean? Here's what that means. That we have more than any other uh, historical documentation, more than any other historical documentation, that we have copies upon copies upon copies upon copies of Matthew's accounts, Luke's accounts, Mark's accounts, John's accounts. We have not just their, their accounts. We have Paul's letters. We have James's letters. We have, we have mountains of literary transmission. In other words, they made copies upon copies upon copies of their letter that they wrote to the different churches, to different people groups to say, to make the claim that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he truly resurrected and we saw him. We saw him. Just to show you a chart. This is a chart. Okay, you can find this on the, on the internet. Google is your friend. You can look more of this stuff up. But here's the chart. Here's a chart. You got Plato's writings. You got, you know, different writings of different people. Iliad. You have different writings of different people that we use within our school system that says that these are facts. These happened. This is truth. But look at the, the amount of New Testament manuscripts that we have compared to the other. You see the New Testament manuscripts on the bottom? We have almost 6,000 manuscripts. Now look at the dates that they were written. They were written somewhere between 40 and 100 AD. You say, how do we know that they were written that early? How do we know that they were written that early? Here's how we know, because there's so much evidence, but the strongest evidence is this. That there was a time around 70 AD, 70 AD, okay? Jesus died and was resurrected in 30 AD. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. The Jerusalem temple was destroyed. That was, and I can't even state this enough, that was a monumental event that happened in the city of Jerusalem. The only way that I know how to compare it is this. If somebody wrote the history of New York City, and they didn't include the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center. It would be that absurd to not include the destruction of the temple. But none of the gospel writers, none of the letters of Paul, and none of the letters of Peter and James include or even talk about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. It would be like not talking about the terrorist attack at the World Trade Center if there was a history of New York City. Do you, do you, do you get the comparison here? That's how significant it is. So here's why we know that these letters were finished and completed before 70 AD. Before 70 AD. And... And the earliest copy that we have is a snippet of the Gospel of John, of a snippet of the Gospel of John that we're reading from today that dates all the way back to 125 A.D., 125 A.D. And we have almost 6,000 manuscripts. I'm telling you, this is just skimming the surface of the evidence that we have to support that you, you, you put your faith 
in the right guy. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I will sit down with you for three hours and present with you evidence to support. And you buy me lunch and dinner. (laughs) And I'll just support the claims, the proof, the assurance, the conviction, the evidence that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of your soul. Literary timeline, I went over that just briefly for a minute, a minute ago, but listen, this is just skimming the surface. And Jesus is saying to you, trust me. Because what my claims and the claims that I made, more importantly, what I did for you, there's proof, there's evidence, there's assurance, there's conviction. And the way that I want you to go about life is I want you to go about life in a single-minded way. I want you to trust God with all of your heart and in all of your ways acknowledge him. Even when the waves well up in life, Even when the wind comes in, he says, I want you to put your trust and your faith in me in all circumstances of your life. The story goes on of Thomas. He says this, this, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came. I love that. Jesus shows up. The doors having been shut. So in other words, here's what John is saying. John is saying the doors are shut, but that never stopped Jesus from coming into the house. And he stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Why? Because they thought he was a ghost again. That's why. They're like, oh, Jesus, you get us every time, you know. Oh, by the way, by the way, by the way, let me just throw throw this out here. If Thomas was there with the disciples a week ago, you know what he would have? Joy and amazement. (laughs) If Thomas was with the church, if Thomas showed up to church a week ago, he would have had joy and amazement, but instead, for a whole other week, eight days for that matter, all eight days, he had fear and doubt. So show up to church every week. (laughs) All right, let's move on. So then it says in verse 27, and he said to Thomas, I love this, I love this, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. You know what Jesus does? Jesus stoops down to your level of doubt to elevate your level of trust. Isn't that so gracious of our God to do? He comes down to your level. He comes down in my level, in my level, and I'm going to talk about my doubts in a second. He comes down to our level of doubt to just so that he can just try to, come on, come on, come on, come on. Peter, 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 don't look at the waves. Don't look at the waves. Keep looking at me. Peter, don't look at the wind. Keep looking at me. Peter, Peter, save it. And see, what's Peter doing? Sinking. And what does Jesus do? Jesus reaches down. Come on, man. I'll get you. And he raises Peter and he elevates Peter and he elevates you and he elevates me. He's willing to stoop down to our level of doubt so that he can elevate your level of trust in him. 
You know, Thomas had a, um, his name meant something. As a matter of fact, John also includes his other name. And here's what it is. Thomas, which is his Aramaic name. And then he also says, but he was also called Didymus, which was his Greek name. Both of them have a meaning. Both of them mean twin. Both of them. Thomas, Aramaic, means twin. Didymus in Greek means twin. And you know what? Here's what I'm thinking about. I'm a lot like Thomas sometimes. I look a lot like Thomas on days where I doubt. I'm like a twin. And so what Jesus is saying to you and to me today is this. Listen, listen. Don't be a Thomas twin. Now, I couldn't decide which ones I wanted to use here in this, so I just used them all. Or, or don't be a doubting Thomas double. And I thought, oh, that one's cool, but I, I like this one too. Don't be a doubting Didymus double. I don't know which one you like best. I just went with them all. I asked my staff, and none of them could give me an answer of which one. Don't be a doubting Didymus double. Don't be a Thomas twin. Don't be a doubting Thomas double. Whatever you want to use. But just don't. Don't be like Thomas. In other words, stop doubting. Stop unbelieving. Stop not trusting. And just trust. Just trust him. Yeah, circumstances happened. Yeah, yeah, you didn't wish it happened the way that they did. Yeah, you wish they didn't go down the way that they went down. But listen, 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 listen. Trust him. Trust him. And in that moment, as he's feeling the holes in Jesus' hand and feeling the holes in Jesus' side, look what Thomas does. Thomas goes, hey, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And look what Jesus' response to him in verse 29. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Like, what a great question. But look what he says. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. You know what Jesus is doing right here in this moment? He's looking forward, generations ahead, and he's talking to you and to me right now. Jesus has looked ahead and said to you and to me, hey, hey, you know what, it, you know what it's like? Jesus said, it, you are blessed. They, those, who, those who are, are blessed are, are those who do not see and yet believe. Thomas, Thomas, there's going to become a day where, you know, after my 40 days are up and I'm going to ascend to my father and I'm going to be at the right hand of my father. And then those of you are just going to have to trust you, Thomas, and trust your friends, Thomas, and trust others who have seen me. They're going to have to trust your word. They're going to have to trust it. Oh, good thing there's going to be, you know, literary type. Good thing there's going to be literary transmission. And good thing there's proof of a literary timeline that supports evidence of Scripture on top of all these other things. But listen, listen, listen. He's saying to Thomas, listen, you know you're blessed. You're blessed because you trust even when you don't see. And that's all of us. That you're blessed Because you didn't see Jesus resurrected, but it took Thomas to see and need to feel Jesus. 
And it took the other disciples. Though Thomas gets the bad rap, it took the other disciples to need to see and to touch Jesus. But blessed are you when you trust even when you don't see. Blessed are you when you don't know how this is all going to come to an end. Or blessed are you that you don't know how this is all going to pan out. Blessed are you that when you continue to trust even when you don't always see the results. Blessed are you who trust even in that circumstance. And blessed are those who trust that Jesus is my God and my Lord, even though you never saw his holes in his hands and in his side. You're blessed. You're blessed because of that. John now sort of takes a weird turn, I think. John, what John writes next, I think is a little strange, but, but it's so fascinating because I think this is so important to where we are today when it comes to our trust and our faith. And look what John writes next, very next verse. He says, therefore, and I always tell you this, when it says therefore, it's always following what he, want, he said beforehand. It's always, it's therefore what was said beforehand. That's why he's there. So he say, he's now saying what he wanted you to know in his writings, John's writings. He says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. He says, I, there was so many more. As a matter of fact, you know, in the next chapter, he says that there was so much more that Jesus did. There were so many things that Jesus performed, so many more miracles, so many more teachings that Jesus did in the presence of people that the world, here's what John's words are, that the world couldn't contain all of it. The world wouldn't be able to contain all of the books. So John says, I'm just going to write, I'm just going to, I'm just going to dictate all of the things that I think were most important for those in the future to see and to tr put their trust in. Because John knew something that Thomas didn't know at the time. John knew something at the time that he dictated this letter or this book. John knew that people would need to believe in Jesus and put their trust in Jesus even though they didn't see Jesus personally. And they needed to trust that what he wrote is verified and true. And so John says, listen, there's so much more that could be written, but I only wrote, but these have been written. So that you may, what is it? So that you may, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And John's looking ahead to us. And John's looking ahead from age to age and generation to generation. John's looking ahead to the future and he's saying to you, listen, I wrote this, I wrote this, and I want you to know that I wrote this so that you 
can believe that Jesus is the Christ and that in him and believing in him and putting your trust in him, you can have life in his name. And what John wanted you to know, more importantly, what Jesus wants you to know today is this, that Jesus supplies abundant life to your everyday life. That the reason why John wrote what John wrote is because Jesus, he wants you to know that he doesn't just offer to you life eternal in heaven. Listen, that's not always what Christianity is all about. It's not about just life in heaven, life in heaven, life in heaven, even though that's the hope that we have. But here's what he wants you to know, and here's what he's talking about in this, in this, in this verse. He's saying, I want you to not just have life eternally, but I want you to have abundant life today. I want you to have abundant life today. I want you to have, a, you know, starting now, not just when you die, you go to heaven. He says, I want you to have abundant life today. Jesus applies abundant life to your everyday life. Today, he has that for you. Today, your belief in Jesus, that you can have a life that's greater. Because here's what we believe. Here's what we believe, and I hope you do too. That following Jesus makes your life better, and it makes you better at life. Following Jesus makes your life better, and it makes you better at life. And what Jesus has for you, by trusting him in a single-minded way, in all of your ways, and in all of your heart, acknowledge him. That he has a life that is full for you here and now, here and now. Boy, there's times where I'm a lot like a Thomas twin. Boy, there's times in my life that I'm a lot like a Didymus, doubting Didymus double. Are you? I know, it's a tongue twister, isn't it? Are you? You ever feel doubt sometimes? You ever feel like on the one hand, yeah, I trust God, but on the other hand, ah, it's kind of iffy. You ever feel like on the one hand, you know, I got this, but then on the other hand, I don't know, I don't know. That's double-minded. It's like a wave. It's down one minute, and then it's up the next. It's uncertain. It's unstable. And God's saying, I want, you to be tr- I want you to trust me. Boy, I, I doubt God sometimes in my career, you know, in my job. I don't know if that's the same for you. I mean, I, you know, it's, there's times I'm like, God, I, I don't know if I can do this. God, I don't know if I have what it takes. God, I don't know if I have the ability. I don't know if you, you know, to, to lead the way that I'm supposed to lead. God, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I have anything, you know, all that great to say, really, you know, week to week. Listen, I have times where I doubt. I have times. But then I got to be reminded. I got to be reminded that it's God who's the one that puts us in the position where you're at. You got to know that. You got to know that when it comes to your life and your career and your, where you're positioned right now in this life, is that God, that didn't just go past the throne room of God. That God has you exactly where he wants you to be right now. Not necessarily always for your benefit and for your gain and for your comfort, but always, always, always for his glory. Always. But we waver sometimes when it comes to our careers and our doubts and, and when it comes to, what you know, God, where do you want us to be? God, what do you want me to do? 
Gosh, man, I don't know about you, but I doubt sometimes when it comes to my parenting. I'm like, I'm responsible for these lives. I'm gonna send them to counseling one day. That's how I, that's how I feel sometimes. They're gonna need therapy by the time that they move out of my house. And I doubt I have these doubts. And you know what I hear? I hear the voice of God, the echoes of God in my heart going, listen, I love them before you love them. And I love them more than you love them. And I just trust God. God, you gave me these kids. Ah, I don't know what to do with them. Here you go, God. Here you go, God. Here you go, God. Here you go, God. Ah, give them back, give them back, give them back. Some of us literally want to give them back some days, right? But we just trust God. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but God, I know you're going to give me the ability to do it. God, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can, but I, God, I know that you are able. God, I'm not able, but you are able. Oh, when it comes to my marriage, oh, I don't want to talk too much about this right now, but listen, I doubt, oh, no, no. Like, oh, how does she want to be married to me? Ah, oh, I'm a mess. I, I'm like so selfish, you know? I get so selfish. Anybody else? Am I just me? I get, I mean, it's about me. It's about me and what I want. I don't know. I get so selfish and God's going, wait a minute. You're right. It isn't going to work if you're selfish. You got to be selfless, but I'm going to give you the ability. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to empower you. The power of God, we talked about last week. If you weren't here, man, you lived a week full of fear and doubt. You could have had joy and amazement. You got power. You got a, 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 an uncanny, supernatural ability to actually be the kind of husband and the kind of wife that God has called you to be. You can do it, but not without him. Not without him. We trust him, right? We trust him. I mean, man, we could go on and on and on and talk about our relationships, our friendships. We can go on and on and on and talk about, you know, our, you know, so many different aspects of life. But here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. That your life was not meant to just be a bunch of compartments of different things like, well, here's my, you know, parenting and here's my marriage and here's my career and here's my finances. Oh, by the way, let's talk about finances for a second. You're telling me, you're telling me that I'm supposed to like give a portion of what I get back to God? Like this is, and I'm supposed to be happy about it, you know? Oh, I don't know if I can do this, God. I don't know if I can, I, I know I'm, I'm told that people, you know, tell me that I'm supposed to do that. But listen, listen, listen. Yes. Because you're supposed to trust God. You're supposed to say, God, within this amount, I'm trusting you. And I'm giving it back to you. But with this, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. We compartmentalize everything. Listen, you know what your faith is not supposed to be? Your faith is not supposed to be another compartment. It's not supposed to be another compartment. It's your life. You're not, it, you don't, we, we don't say, we shouldn't say, you know, Jesus is just a part of my life. No, 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 no. According to Romans, Paul said this. He is your life. He's not just a part of your life. He is your life. He ought to be. He ought to be. And John wrote this. And John's going, listen, listen, listen. I want you to trust this. I want you to trust this. And we do this today. You know why I know we do this today? Because here's what I know. Here's what I know. You know what works best for marketing? Here's what works best for marketing. When you share a recommendation. When you share a recommendation. That's what works best for marketing, right? When you, when you go and experience something at a restaurant, you know, you have a great meal. You know what you're going to do? You're going to go and tell somebody else how great that meal was, aren't you? 
John is writing this. You know what John is doing? John is sharing a recommendation. John is going, hey, 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 those of you that read, you know, ages later, generations later, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that I recommend that you put your faith in Jesus. I recommend him because he doesn't just give eternal life. He gives abundant life today for you. The best approach to anything when it comes to marketing is share a recommendation. And here's what I know. Here's what I know too. And I do this and you do this. Before you buy something, what do we do? What do we do? We read a review. Don't we? You should. You should. I don't know why we're talking about this now, but you should. Read. Like when you go on Amazon, like you're right, you're going to buy something. What do you do? I do. You look at the reviews. As a matter of fact, when I filter my searches, I want to know that my product that I'm looking for is rated four stars or up, right? Nobody's doing this. You need to. But yeah, and then I look, and I'm like, oh, maybe there's only three. Well, that's not enough. I'm looking at, I'm looking at, if, I, if I'm looking at the, if it's like in the hundreds, I'm like, yes, this is it. This is what I want right here because hundreds of people have recommended this. And they wrote a review to say, you should buy this product. This is what John is saying to you and to me. He's sharing a recommendation. And he wrote a review. And he's saying to you and to me, trust it. Trust it. You may not have seen him alive, but I did. And it wasn't just me, John would say. Others have saw him alive. Others saw him alive. Over 500 people saw him alive. And they wrote about it. Matthew wrote about it. Mark wrote about it. Luke wrote about it. John wrote about it. Paul wrote about it. Peter wrote about it. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote about it. Titus, the other brother of Jesus, wrote about it. You should trust it. They wrote a review. And said, you can have life today in Jesus. So my recommendation for you before we leave is this. Here's what I recommend. Here's what I recommend. Come on, come on, come on. If you want to trust Jesus, you, just, just this week, just this week, okay? All right? Not for the next 40 days. Just this week. Here's what I want you to do. Share a recommendation of what Jesus has done for you. Share a recommendation of what Jesus has done in your life. And if you so are willing to do this, maybe on your social media accounts, write a review. This is what Jesus has done for me. This is how my life has changed. This is how following Jesus has made me better at life. It has made my life better. Share a recommendation. Maybe somebody at work. Why? Because your life is not just about going to work. Your ministry is at work. Maybe somewhere along the line with a relationship. Maybe you share, share recommendations. This is what Jesus has done for me. I just want to share it with you. Or you can go and write a review. This Christianity thing, this Jesus following thing is worth looking into. Because all of the evidence supports it. All of the assurance that I have is proven. Is proven.
to be true. Father, I just pray that we all in this room today walk around this life and whatever we do, wherever we go, wherever we work, wherever we put our money, wherever we have relationship, whether it's school, at at home, with family, friends, loved ones, whatever the case may be, that we just trust you with it. We trust you with it. That our mindset is single-minded, that we're just walking on water that we shouldn't be walking, but yet we're just gonna look to you, we're just gonna trust you with it. We're gonna recognize you in the midst of it. And that you're not just a part of our life, you are our life. You are our life. And so it should challenge us and hopefully inspire us to want to share this great life that we found in your son, Jesus. That we want to write a letter or write a review or write, share something with, with those that we know in our life and in this world to say that following Jesus is the best decision that we made. That we put our trust and our faith in the right guy. And there's nowhere else to turn There's nowhere else to look to. There's nowhere else to go that can give what your son Jesus gives to every single one of us. Help us not be a Thomas twin. Help us to not be a doubting Didymus double. But just to trust you, trust you in everything, in all things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday, everybody.